We've been talking about uh, a church on the move. And this was, it's kind of been a, uh, a question, would I go with a message for freedom today, enjoying the freedom that you and I enjoy, coming to the place that we want to worship, hanging out with the people we love to enjoy, being employed in the place that we love to be employed, and doing some things in life that we enjoy doing. America may have its issues, but I'm still glad it's a, it's a land of the free and the home of the brave this morning. But uh, continuing in the, the series of messages that we have been taking and ministering, uh, I want to stay with uh, the church on the move this morning, if you will allow me to. Be sure and be here tonight. Bring somebody with you. There's going to be plenty of food. We're going to enjoy the fireworks, and uh, we're going to have a great evening on the east side of the church. Above all, bring your lawn chair. And uh, we're, we're going to have a great time. Looking at the message this morning, Acts, is where we have taken a series of messages. And we're going to continue to reflect upon the scriptures that the book of Acts has to share. The Bible says after Jesus had been raised from the dead, he spent 40 days proving that he, he was the one that died on the cross. He had proof where the nails had pierced his hand. He had the place in his side where the sword had pierced. He had the place still on his brow where the crown of thorns had been set. He, he was the one that had died on the cross. He was taken to a barred tomb where he stayed three days and three nights, but the grave couldn't hold Jesus. Three days, three nights, and he arose from the grave. In the book of Acts, it shows about how he's, he's spending 40 days proving that he is the one who died, who rose again, and he's encouraging the people, I have greater plans. I have something in store for you. I've got some instruction to leave, to leave with you before I depart. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I need somebody to represent me, and I've chosen you. I have great plans. I'm going to build a church, I'm on, and I'm going to use your hands and your feet, your legs to do this. And so there was about 500 people gathered that had, was watching this as the early people began to gather with uh, curiosity and some that really loved Jesus that had followed him during his 30 years of ministry. He was 33 years when he was crucified. He spent 30 years preparing for a three-year ministry. But he's, he's using these words. He said, I want you to give you some instruction, and I want you to follow the instruction because something great's going to happen if you're obedient. The Bible teaches us about obedience. To obey is better than the sacrifice. We learned this in, in young as young people, didn't we? Our parents taught us it's better to obey than to pay the price, right? Spare the rods, pull the child. That didn't happen at our house. My dad always told us that, that uh, evil spare time was the devil's playground, and he never let us go there. He made sure we were busy 24-7. He was up before we were, and he went to bed after we went to bed. No spare time at the White House where I grew up. But, but following, following the, the commands of Jesus, he said, I don't want you to leave from Jerusalem. What Jesus knew that the Christian people were going to be faced with adversity. They were going to be faced with great opposition. So he said, I want you to be prepared. I don't want you to leave Jerusalem, but I want you to go back to the upper room. An upper room was built on, uh, above the homes that were better qualified in Jerusalem. And the upper room was just kind of a, a framed up area where if you had a guest coming and you really didn't want them to stay more than one night, you put them in the upper room. Neil, you're in the, I'm sorry, you're upstairs. You're not in the upper room. I almost got myself in trouble there. But Jesus said, I want you to go back to the upper room, and I want you to tarry until you be endued from power from on high. 
The Bible says there was about 120 that followed the command, not the 500, but 120. And they returned to the upper room, and they began to, the Bible said that they began to tarry. What you and I as Pentecostals know, they began to pray with, with great fortitude, with, it, with their intestinal fortitude. They, they just really began to talk to God in prayer because he had gave them a promise. He said, don't leave until you be endued with power from on high. And that prayer meeting in that upper room, the Bible says, tongues like as a fire set upon the 120. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in different languages. And as the employment of the power of the Holy Spirit came into their life, great power and great grace filled those 120 so that they were able to face adversity. They were able to face opposition. Many of them even faced death because of their stand for Jesus Christ. And that began the early church, and, and the church that day was on the move. We see just a few days later that, than that, Peter and John, who had been uh, part of the 120 that went to the upper room, was, was headed to the temple on the ninth hour to pray. To get to the temple, you had to go through a gate called Beautiful. At that gate, there was a man that had been laying there for 40 years, lame from his mother's womb. In other words, he was born lame. But somebody took the time every day when that man was old enough to lay there for the day, they'd bring him to the gate so he could ask for alms for those that were going in to pray. That day, Peter and John saw the man who was lying by the gate. And they, they looked upon him and they said, you know, uh, here we are, no man. But we're going to give you something that we feel like God wants us to give you. And, and Peter reached out to this lame man and he took him by the hand. He said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and the power of the Holy Spirit that it enabled them to face tomorrow flowed through Peter as that man, lame from his mother's womb, jumped to his feet, began to shout and praise the Lord, and he followed them on into the prayer meeting. I want to pause there just a moment and just meddle. This isn't a part of my notes for the message, but I, I wonder sometimes... I enjoy the beautiful facility. We sweat, and I can still remember June the 30th as this building was going up. I can still remember the race we had as we were putting on the last few bones. There's two semi-loads of asphalt shingles on this bus, I mean on this building. And I used to know how many bones that is. I'm sorry, uh, not age, but miles has blocked that out of my mind. But I remember the race that we, we, we was involved in. I, I remember the hard work and the labor and the, the sweat that, that flowed over about, out of about 20 to 25 men as we worked here daily. But I, I just want to fast forward to this, this point this morning. Peter and John were going to the temple to pray when they saw this crippled man by the gate called Beautiful. I wonder today, are we still looking for the people that are at the gate that are lame, that are sick, that have a life unfulfilled, and they're crying out for help. Peter and John could have said, look at this beautiful gate. We're so honored. We're Christians. We get to walk through this gate every day. Boy, isn't it awesome. But they weren't taken up with the gate. Their attention was, go was going to the man at the gate. Can I say this? Every church has people at the gate today that's less fortunate than we they don't have the opportunity to do some things that we have to do. They don't have the opportunity to go some places that we go and enjoy some things that we enjoy. 
Sometimes it's because of health issues. Sometimes it's because of financial issues. Sometimes it's just because they're spiritually lost. They've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of their life. And they really don't know which way to turn. And we're living in a world today where it's always somebody else's fault. And the blaming game didn't begin at Elm Grove. It began in the Garden of Eden. I'm going to talk to Adam and Eve when I get there. <laughs> Hopefully they got there. Hopefully I get there. <laughs> Why didn't you just obey? Because of their disobedience, God said, man will live by the sweat of his brow. Don't blame your employer if you have to sweat on your job. It was Adam's fault. And the blaming game goes on. But we live in such a world today, and we're so blessed, and we're so honored, and, and I don't mind telling you I've taken life for granted. I've enjoyed health all of my life. I, don't, I hated uh, pain medication, and God had just smiled on me, and I, I've got some high mileage on me, but I have enjoyed life to its fullest. I've enjoyed because I knew that, that the Lord gave me the first breath that I ever breathed, and, and Him I live, move, and have my being. And, and then He took me into His family the day I was old enough to realize I was a sinner. And not only did He forgive me of my sins, but He placed within me the Holy Spirit. And then He enabled me one day with the power of the Holy Spirit so I could be a witness that He's called me to be. And so this is a church on the move. We see Peter and John, they're on the move. They're not looking at the beauty of the gate. They're looking at the people that are less fortunate than they are. And they gave this crippled man exactly what he had need of today or that day. They gave him the strength to rise up and walk again. Later on, people marveled at Peter and John. Look at these guys. And this today's terminology, they could have started one of the biggest TV messages or ministries that would ever exist. But Peter and John says, don't look on us, friend. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. God has, given, has blessed me so much. When people begin to lay the accolades at our feet for things that are accomplished and things that are done, I said, look, if it wasn't for Jesus, I'd have to run for my life. If it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't be here, I can tell you. Without him, we'd be of all people most visible. But he's called us and ordained us, and he wants you to know that he wants you to be a part of his family. And part of his family is what we call the church family. And he's not looking at the gate. He's not looking at the name over the church door. He's looking on the heart. And while you and I enjoy the beauty as we see beautiful things, beautiful people walk in and out, we see today what cosmetics can do for the female race. Woo! Awesome. Keep the paint going, ladies. But you know what? God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And he qualifies us by our heart's condition. And many times through things that we are confronted with, our heart can become hardened. It can be calloused. Many things that come our way, we just say, I don't deserve this kind of teaching. I don't deserve this kind of a lesson. I don't deserve going through what I'm going through. And we really sometimes become so hardened with our circumstances that before God can really do anything for us, he has to change our heart. I went through... 17 years of school. Being, I was a drug baby. My dad was a minister. I was drugged from one town to the other. I was drugged to church every time the church door opened. And I just grew up a, a, a drug baby. I mean, I just all I knew was being drugged. But you know, I, I grew up with a, a real chip in my heart. I had a chip on my shoulder and a hardened heart. But I'll never forget, uh, Sherry and I both, those. Uh, 
had, had about three years together before we were married, attending the same church. If you only knew how bad, how, how strong of, uh, of rules we had at the White House, the church was usually over at 930, and I'd ask if I could drive Sherry home. It was five miles to the Orange, Orange Store corner. It was three south and one west. And if I wasn't back home in 30 to 45 minutes, I met the preacher's car from Midway coming to look for me, known as my dad. 30 to 45 minutes. <clears throat> I, was, I was just raised in this atmosphere. I, I just raised where I really resented, I really resented church. I, I resented the fact that I, I had to go to church. I resented the fact that, that I couldn't just be normal, ever what that is. But one day when Jesus changed my heart, it was okay. Things began to develop. Things began to happen. And Sherry took me at a time when I was pretty rough on the outside and I was pretty rough on the inside. And she knew how I felt. And there was times when I exposed that. And then I'd spend all week. We didn't have telephones, so I'd write her two or three letters and I would apologize for my misgivings. To my heart, she regrets. She still has those, those letters that I sent to her. And now and then she whips one out and lets me read it. <laughs> crucifixion God why did I write that but you know what the greatest book of information we can have today this is a lamp unto our feet and it's a light to our pathway and the early church realized that the journey of life could only be fulfilled as we fulfill the calling of Jesus Christ on our life and he doesn't look at the name over the church today. He doesn't look at the beauty of the chandeliers, but he looks on a man's heart because the Bible says as a man thinketh in his heart. So is he. So is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And the Bible has illustrations of people who succeeded in, and the Bible has illustrations of those who failed to follow the directions that God gives to all of us. The Bible is the best road that's ever been offered to mankind. And the book of Acts records the beginning of the early church. Pentecost was the beginning. The early church grew to an astounding 100,000 Christians within seven years. Within seven years. Such growth demands a question. What were their secrets? And I'm going to talk to you about the secrets, and I've got six minutes to do so. How many would loan me? Five more if I ask for it. Thank you, thank you. I see all those hands that aren't raising. Mark 1, in making a great church is a converted congregation. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says if you've broken one of the commandments, you've broken them all. So there's no small sin in the eyes of God. There's no large sin. Have you ever heard somebody say this when they see somebody fail miserably? Well, I'll tell you what. I made a lot of mistakes, but I've never made one that big. Jesus said if you made one, you've broken them all. So that puts us all on a level playing field, right? And Jesus is the one, and, and our presidents are trying to level the field today. Listen, the book of Acts records the things that happened. The marks of a great church was people who say, I've sinned, Lord. Come into my life. I need help. I'm lost and undone. Without you, I can't make it. Realizing the challenges of life, that such as they are, are a challenge that only, we can only make possible when we include God in our life. A church clerk or a church secretary can add your name to the church role. But only God can add your name to the heavenly role. 
Conversion begins with a call from God. Next, conviction hits our heart. The people that Peter preached to was a people that needed God. They needed Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They needed help that only came from the Lord. And in that time, they spent time praying and seeking the Lord. I'm going to spend some time before I move to the next thought. Prayer this morning, I want everybody to, I want everybody to listen to me closely. Prayer is not twisting God's arm to get our way. I thank you for those three amens. Thank you for three amens. Thank you for the hallelujah. Prayer is surrounding our will to his. That's when we really begin to pray. Many times I have prayed with my mind. I've prayed what I was thinking and, and, and with my mind, and, and I was formulating how things ought to be. But as I prayed and I studied the scriptures and discovered that God has a better plan than Orville White ever had, the Lord always has more sense than I have. Moving on. I was getting this, I was waiting for this eye contact. 60 years I've learned, buddy. Make eye contact. Remember that, Adam. God has a plan. God has a plan. Nobody's excluded. Nobody is excluded from God's plan. He has a plan, and he's always operating the plan. Prayer is simply aligning our lives with God's will. And when we pray for boldness, as the believers did, you know, if I'd have been praying in the days of, 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 let's just use Stephen in, in the early part of Acts. They got really upset because of his message. They took him out to the, the edge of the, the city, and they stoned him. They, they actually stoned him. And the Bible says he, he went to sleep before he did. You know what he said? Let me, let me just tell you before I read what he says, what I would have said. Lord, will you kill those horrible hypocrites? They're not listening to me. They're not getting the message. They're blaming me for what you told me to say. Here's a man filled with the Holy Spirit, in tune with the Lord, allowing the love of Jesus to fly, flow through his life. He said, Lord, don't lay that sin to their charge. As those stones were literally beating the thunder out of his life and he was going into eternity. And Jesus accepted his spirit and Stephen quit breathing. Let me tell you what the Holy Spirit will do. Instead of having the white scripture that I've used a few times in life when somebody really got my goat not, not you people they don't go to church here anymore <laughs> but if, when they would really nail when they would nail me, nail me to the tree I, I, I've often said Lord if they're going to heaven just go ahead and take them <laughs> and if you need any help probably just call not these people these are signs when we know we need to go back to the upper room and be re-endued with the power from on high when we get to thinking, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. When we begin to think, I've even went this far. And you, I know I'm, oh, you're, I'm a, your pastor, and I know I shouldn't be thinking like this. But you know what? We've all said this. And if you haven't said it when I speak it, I want you to stand up. I'm going to get everybody to clap for you. If I live long enough, you'll see the day when I get even. I thought Dale was going to stand. <laughs> we've all we've all entertained these thoughts. I don't mind telling you what changes our thought process 
when we allow the power of the Holy Spirit to cultivate our life, when we allow the Holy Spirit to regenerate our life, when he, we, he gives us the power to lay aside the things and the weight and the sin that easily besets us, and we start focusing on Him instead of the beautiful gate, when we start focusing on Him instead of our problems and our, our, our situation, and when we quit blaming somebody else for all of our issues, First Peter is a book in the New Testament, chapter 5, verse 7 says, Cast the whole of your care upon him because he cares for you. When you think you've been taken to the cleaners, when you think you've been stripped and left with nothing, cast it all on Jesus. He's got a plan. He's got a program, and he wants to intervene in your behalf. God will always do above and beyond what we're able to think or ask. Abraham, made this, Abraham Lincoln made this statement. Find out which way God is going and go that way yourself. That's a pretty good testimony from Abraham Lincoln. And prayer gets us in tune with the Lord. The psalmist David was reaching the, his senior moments in life. The world calls it your golden moments. I'm still looking for the gold. I think they saw rust. David says, the psalmist David says in Psalms 37, verse 25, I have been young, now I'm old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. If David can say it, so can I. If it's written in the book, I, it's worth repeating. And I say this quite often. I've had my back again the wall. I know what it is to go bankrupt. I know what it is for the IRS to come in and take everything. And then they look at your suits to see who made them. And they see your name where somebody, the funeral director, had loaded my closet through the years with tailor-made suits. And they look at that and they, they immediately begin to put down prices that you spent for your clothing. I know what it is to hear an IRS agent say, our goal is to set you out in the middle of the street in front of your house before you go to bed tonight. But I've also watched the Holy Spirit invade our office. And I've watched the Holy Spirit speak to the IRS agent. And they've folded their attache case. And they've said, I'm a bit confused. We'll take this matter up later. And they walked out and never returned. I know what it is. I know what it is. My heart hurts when I see people have a failure. My heart bleeds when I see people that's less fortunate than me because the Holy Spirit generates this, the generosity spirit in my life. You're far better than theirs. What you have, give to them. Encourage them, bless them, and strengthen them. I drove to Fearview a few days ago this past week to give a recommendation to some family that's, that I know well, and they're wanting to be a parent for foster children. And I left it at the DHS office, and I remembered a lady that was the elder's wife in the Midway Church when I was just 14 years old. 14 years old with driver's license and on a 53 Henry J. Four-cylinder, split manifold, twin, 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 twin glass pack exhaust. Sherry could hear me four mile away when I would leave her and head home. Of course, there was no air conditioning then. The only air conditioning we had was just raising the windows. And if you were blessed, you had screens so the mosquitoes couldn't come yeah. in. Remember those days, Neil? Absolutely. I, I drove to the assisted living center, and when I, when I looked in the door, Stella was catnapping like I see some people do once in a while when I'm preaching. <laughs> That's when I say, 
elbow your neighbor and tell them the pastor's really doing good. I yeah. see people wake up. It's good. I mean, you just, there's just some things you learn. You know, I've learned how to be nice, haven't I, hon? Yes. I, I watched Stella, and she was catnapping, and so I, I edged over by the wall, and I walked up to her chair, and I leaned down in front of her, and when she opened her eyes, she said, ah! She said, what are you doing, young man? I said, the same thing I was doing when I met you 14, when I was 14 years old. I'm being as mischievous as I can. Oh, Stella laughed. She, it, it, was, it was a highlight just to see a lady laugh and, and uh, enjoy a few moments of laughter. And she said, now, don't forget, I'm going to need you in a few days. She said, I can't remember whether I'm 100 or 101. But she said, I've told my kids when I quit breathing to call Orville. You know, the journey of life is so good. It's been so good to me. I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't trade places with anybody today because of the love of Jesus that he puts in our heart to lend a helping hand to those that are less fortunate, to love on those whose heart is broken and to p- help people pick up the broken pieces of their life and just say, the Lord knows where you're at. He wants to do something great for you. If you'll put your trust in him with all your heart, quit trying to figure it out, but in all of your ways, if you'll acknowledge him, he'll direct your path. Listen, today, this is a church on the move. And I want you to know one thing. God has you in the scope of his, of his scope today. He has you in the crosshairs, and he wants me to tell you he has great plans for you to succeed and not to fail, to be a, be a, chal- be a blessing to those that are in challenge and, and know that one thing, when Christ is for us, who can be against us? Would you bow your head as we stand for prayer this morning and Jared comes to close the service. Maybe you're here this morning and, Things aren't so well for you. Maybe there's thoughts that you've entertained this morning on the way to church that uh, aren't really fruitful for your life. Maybe there's something you're facing this morning that just it's just unfair. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life. I want you to take a moment and ask yourself this question. Am I traveling the right road? Am I, am I putting my confidence that Jesus never fails? Am I, am I treating him as my best friend? Or do I need to make some adjustments? Is there something in my heart that I shouldn't be holding? Grudge against somebody, unforgiveness towards somebody that's taking advantage, advantage of me. Am I, is there something in my life that's contaminating me and keeping me from being a happy camper? And knowing that Romans 8.28 includes me. And we know that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord. No matter what your situation may be. Christ is the answer. The Bible says if in this life only we had hope, we'd be of all people most miserable. But it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Are you depending upon Christ to fill the void in your life this morning? Are you depending on Christ today to encourage you to lay aside the weights and the sin that easily beset you? Are you including Jesus to to know that you have trust in Him? Are you depending upon Him today to work things out when you don't have the answer to the dilemma you may be facing today? If that speaks to you in any form or fashion this morning, just that I might know to include you in a prayer today. Could I see your hands as we, you raise your hands across this congregation this morning? Anyone? What, yes, I see that hand. God bless you, ma'am. Others, while we wait just a moment. Pastor, I'm just facing some things I don't have the answer for today. I want, I want to I acknowledge the Lord. I want to step back and let him step in. And I want him to take charge of my life so that I can have the confidence that if I ask anything according to his will, 
he hears my prayer. Anyone else while we wait today? Well, God bless you this morning. We always linger for those that have special needs of prayer. And if you're here this morning, you may never made Jesus Lord of your life. I want you to step forward as we dismiss this morning. And there'll be somebody here at the front to meet you and pray with you. We want you to know most of all, God loves you and so do we. And he has the best in store for your life. Jared, would you come today and close the service as you see fit? Father, we just thank you this morning. We thank you for your meeting with us in this place, God. Thank you for your touch upon our life. God, thank you for the word that's been brought. We thank you that the word will not return void. But God, you sent this word for a specific purpose, for a specific reason, to bring about specific consequences in our life today. And so, Father, I just pray that today we would align ourselves up with your word. And God, today I pray that you would can just continue throughout the day to, to drop these nuggets of truth into hearts and into lives today. God, let us meditate on the word that we've uh, that's been uh, prepared before us and, and, and laid before us. And God, may your word just illuminate uh, the dark areas of our life. Let the light just shine so that, God, we might be in perfect relationship with you. God, we love you and we praise you and we ask your blessing on all those who are gathered here this morning. God, go with us today. Lead us, guide us, and direct us in all that we do. And God, we ask a blessing upon tonight as we gather back for our special events and activities. God, just bless our time with our community. We ask it all in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, amen. Amen.